Welcome to the Felt Recall Podcast, number 114. It's 114. New episodes every Tuesday morning, wherever you like to get your podcasts. We are on the Apple Podcast app. We're on Spotify, Google Play, or whatever it's called over there on Google. I don't know. I'm not an Android guy. But I do know we have a service that dishes it out wherever you like to get them. So go find it. Please uh, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a comment and a review. Tell us what you think. Um, helpful. Thankful. Hey, all that so good stuff. Real quick. Joe Rogan got $100 million to be on Spotify. Yeah. And I can't help but notice we got on it right about the same time. Mm, did we? So okay. So... I'm just wondering, do I do I get with you oh, for the about money? The money, or <laughs> or is there somebody at Spotify I'm supposed yeah. to call? I'm just I'm just want to work that out. Um, we can do that after the show. We don't have to do it right now. What you have to do first is get someone, mm-hmm. anyone, to download and subscribe to your podcast. I don't oh. know. Oh, <laughs> I don't know an easier way to tell you. Okay. You have to be what the cool kids call cool. <laughs> uh, our charity of choice this week. Oh, by, by the way, I'm Chris, and across from me is... It's Patrick. How are you, P. Magulon? I'm good, man. Good. Glad to be back. Good to have you here. Um, our charity of choice this week is Greenville War Fund. It is the Wounded and Recovering Fund. They help heroes heal. You can learn more at GreenvilleWarFund.com. I'm bringing them up because last week we spent some time with them. Uh, they had their annual charity falling steel match, and I went out and shot it and hung around there for a few days at the Belton Gun Club, and it was just, well, not just, yeah, yeah that's all right, we say it. It was absolutely the f- my favorite match I've ever been to, I've ever witnessed. It was well-coordinated. It was a lot of fun. Everybody was laid back. I don't shoot competitively as a habit, Okay. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I'm not like you. I'm not one of them. It's just not my thing, okay? And I'm not good at it. I just want to say that. Um, so here's what happened. I showed up, and I had agreed to shoot just to you know kind of support the cause, as it were. And uh, I shared my rifle with one of the guys there who was shooting, our friend Chris, who's a part of the war fund. He and I shared a rifle. He shot mine, okay? And so we, it was it was kind of a quid pro quo in a way. Like, he needed a rifle to shoot, and I had one. He didn't have a PCC, and he wanted to run PCC. And so we took uh, my Lead Star PCC out. We were running it, and he agreed to load the ammo so we could have ammo if he could use my gun. It seemed like a win to me. Um, <laughs> we broke the optic on it. Within All like right. within the first two stages, so uh, it comes flying off. We literally zip tie the. I have a Sig Romeo three on it. Okay, mm. and I think I found your problem. Yeah, yeah. The the arm on the mount broke, and so we literally put it back on, clamped the arm down, and then I zip tied it closed, and it ran the rest of the time just fine. It was fun, um, but it was such a good match. You had, there was a stage where you sat in a boat, and the boat wobbled. They'd made it where the boat would move while you're shooting. That was cool. And then there was a hanging bridge. So you like go up. You start with your gun unloaded. Uh, you run to the hanging bridge. You stop. Let it settle. Brace yourself if you want to. And then you put a round in the chamber and you, you got to run the, the 
the stage. I think he had like 25 seconds. Which to doesn't look that hard as much in videos, deal. but it's probably pretty hard. I it was pretty, yeah, yeah. I became the topic conversation because I strategized. And it's fun to be there, by the way, and be the guy that hasn't done it before because everybody has their way of doing things. And so out of the goodness of their hearts, a lot of guys were like, okay, here's what, you know, you might want to think about doing it this way or think about doing it that way. And then I would go, well, what if I did this? Wouldn't this work? And they'd go, no, let's see what happens. And then I'd run it, you know. So on the swinging bridge, uh, it was essentially a rectangular bridge that would sway, and it was tied to these chains and, and anchored in. And you have to imagine there was a frame around it, okay? So just to make it simple, just imagine that there are four um, four-by-fours building a base to hold the whole thing, right? And then the swinging bridge swings around in that square, through the four by fours, right? Does that make sense? Yep. All right. So if you swung hard enough, you would hit them with the bridge. Mm -hmm. So I thought everybody's jumping to the middle and it's swaying in every direction. And you were allowed to step up and brace yourself and then rack the gun. Mm -hmm. So I thought if I just step up into the back right corner and embrace myself, I bet it stops moving a lot quicker. So everybody gets a dry run, right? You get a stage walk, I think they call it. You get to go out and preview it. Well, while everybody looked at the targets, I worried about the bridge. And I did about three dry runs of stepping just into that corner and bracing myself. And each time it kind of sank in that direction and wouldn't swing as much as if I got in the middle. So that's what I did. But then the back of my heel hung off enough when I actually did it that everybody recognized that you could kind of cheat the system if you were to use your heel to grab one of those four-by-fours, it would stop the bridge. <laughs> I didn't do that, but they, one guy came up, and he's like, now, he didn't do this, but I do want to ask, what if I did? And they're like, no, if your heel touches or any part of your foot touches, it's it's not going to count. Anyway, uh, there were these really cool stages like that, and you got to run and gun a little bit and, and meet a lot of fun people, and so... Uh, it was a great time. I know they raised a lot of money. I don't know. In fact, I know they're not saying officially yet how much, but they certainly raised a lot of money. And what they do is if you're a police officer wounded in the line of duty, they step in and they help cover your expenses. And in fact, they had several law enforcement officers speak at the awards ceremony that Saturday afternoon and talk about the things the War Fund has done for them. So it was excellent time. Excellent people. I'm telling you, I've been to shooting competitions where the people take themselves way too seriously. You know what I'm talking about? I do. And now That's I've, why I don't do it. <laughs> right. I don't do it either. It's so funny. Like, they call themselves practical shooters. <laughs> There's nothing practical about what they wear. Anyway, uh, some of it's funny. But for the most part, um, this what not for the most part. Absolutely, this was the best I'd ever been to. Everybody was laid back is the point I was about to make there. They were just so chill. It, everybody recognized it was for charity. There was right. no so reason. As it should be. Yeah, no reason to get worked up. Uh, competitive shooting is, I mean, it's really fun. Uh, it's largely an ego game, in my opinion. You know, like there's no money to be won at most of the matches. It's just fun. Bragging rights. Right? It's bragging rights. And it's a lot of fun to go do. So these guys uh, understood it, and they seemed to really grasp what this was really all about. Uh, so anyway, we had a good time. GreenvilleWarFund.com. You can learn more about the Wounded and Recovering Fund. By the way, related in a way, I want to share my favorite shooting memory of all time that happened recently because uh, everybody in life, we're always looking for excuses. I was having a conversation with a friend. I, I ride mountain bikes in my spare time, and 
um, I was talking with a friend this week about the fact that when you realize that you're not as good at something as you wish you were, or even as you believe you already are, the easiest thing to do is make an, an excuse for it to find a reason as to why uh, mountain bikers tend to blame the bike, right? Which I was doing. Yeah. Okay. So this is me saying I've been shopping for a new bike for a few months and I thought, okay, what bike would I get? What company? Blah, blah, blah. And then I took a class about a, two or three weeks ago now. And I got into that class and that guy's doing things and I'm trying to do them on my bike and I can't. And I had that realization of, you know, it's not the bike, it's you. Like, <laughs> you're not as good as this bike is yet. I can relate. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm the problem. So instead of spending the, this money on a new bike, maybe you should spend this money on more classes and more time out on the trail getting better. Gun guys were the same way. When it comes to your guns, the, the common joke is, oh, my sights must be off, right? Yep. Am I wrong on that? That's pretty right. common. If you're a gun guy, you've heard somebody go, well, the sights are off, the sights are off. So lo and behold, <laughs> those Glock sights are always low left for some reason. I was at uh, I was at an event and uh, we were running some uh, what's called a plate rack. And if you don't know what that is, there's uh, literally a rack about twenty yards out, and there's six plates on it. If you imagine a saucer sized plate on it, but these are steel, and you shoot them and they fall over, and then somebody pulls a rope and sets all six back up. And the objective is how fast can you hit all six, right? So there's a guy there, and he's playing range officer, and he's a really nice guy. Maybe, maybe five nine. <clears throat> maybe, <coughs> sorry, hold on. I'm getting choked up thinking about it. He's a, he's like five nine. Maybe 135 pounds, right? Not not a big dude, not a small guy, but not a big dude. Average size guy, and uh, he's range officer. And Say 135 pounds, something like that. It's, I feel like that's pretty small. Yeah, it's small. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> All right. All right. So anyway, Just checking. here's the thing. So this guy, uh, he has this like um, <clears throat> big arm camp chair he's sitting in. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. It's a camp chair. Mm-hmm. It's got the big arm. It's a big chair. You can lounge in this thing, right? He's got his 32-ounce Yeti, and it's full of some ice-down beverage for the day. It's going to be a long day. It's hot. Got to have your Capri Suns. That's right. And uh, he's sitting there making sure everybody stays safe. Okay. So we're running from the, the comfort of his chair. Well, no, he he'd hop up when people showed up. Oh, okay, right? right. So I should have said that better. He'd hop up when people showed up, and he would run shot timer and make sure everybody was safe. <clears throat> so we had seen dozens and dozens of people, and we're all hanging out and competing against each other to have the fastest time. And one of our guys comes up and he grabs the gun. We we'd all agreed to use the same gun, so that's you know it's an even playing field at that point. And fella does the very stereotypical shooters thing. Again, dozens and dozens of guys, no problem. Shooters, really. There were ladies out there, too. Dozens and dozens of shooters, no problem. People are competing, having a good time. We're all kind of trash-talking each other. It's a friendly little competition we had going. And um, we hit a lull, and nobody's really shooting. Fella walks up, big guy. You know, got his camo on and all that. He's cool. 145 pounds. You're right, 145, big guy. And uh, our, our, my new friend here hops out of his arm. Like, you got to understand, this dude was lounging in between shooters. Like, when he sat down, he was cozy. 
He was not going to move. Right. His arms were out. His feet were spread. And he was just there to have a good time. And he knew, you know, he knew. I'm just here to relax. Like, you, you heard the phrase chillax. This dude was living it. He was living it in the moment. So we're all kind of mingling around talking. He's chillaxing. Big fellow walks up in all of his camo, picks the gun up. What are the rules? We explain the rules. Ding, boom, ding, boom, boom, boom. Misses, you know, goes back to it. Ding, ding. But you were limited on rounds. So he runs out of rounds. There's two left. And I kid you not, he turns around and goes, all right, I get one more mag, one more mag. Puts the mag in. Reset the plates for him. Six plates, right? Ting, ting, miss, miss, ting, ting, miss, miss. Ah, he's all mad, right? It's like, oh, you know, it's all right, man. And he goes, I, I tell you guys. Turns around. Hey, tell you guys. Sights off. And as he's saying this, <laughs> as he's saying this. Wait, didn't you say everybody's using the same gun? Everybody's used the same all gun, right. right? All right. I like where this is headed. So my job, I, I had said I'll, I'll load mags and pull plates, right? So I was just loading mags. Pulling that rope, loading mags, trying to pull the rope, trying to remember to pull the rope. I kept forgetting to do it. Um, <clears throat> and so he grabs the gun, uh, he shoots, he has his miss, he shoots again, has a couple misses. RO calls the time, here's his time, whatever it was, plus two, because he left two standing. RO makes it back to the chair, because the gun's safe. So the way it works is they show clear, pull the trigger, and then pull the charging handle and the RO would put a flag in the chamber yeah. and yell gun safe, right? Yep. Gun safe. So he says gun safe and he goes back and he's already flopped into his chair. And again, he flops down, his legs spread, his arms are out. And the guy turns and goes, Hey, to tell you guys this, but, uh, shots off. There's a red dot. We run a red dot optic on it. And that dude, like I did, I barely go, Oh, is it like I'm saying, Oh, is it really? <laughs> and I'm going to be sympathetic. This fellow, that dude hops right back up out of that chair, grabs it, and he has the loaded mags, right, on a barrel in front of him. Mm-hmm. Grabs the gun, slams a mag in. I've already reset the steel. He goes, range is hot. Ting, 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 ting. Problem's not the optic, buddy. And puts the gun back down. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody around us is like, hmm. And the guy's like, well, wait, wait, where were you aiming? What was your point of aim? And guy's like, dead center. And like unloads the gun. Like never even stops. Just unloads it, puts the flag in, and sits back down in his chair and grabs his Yeti. He's taking a sip. Savage. <laughs> it was like, dude, that was pretty good. Because you always want to do that. Like I had a guy yell at me once on the gun counter. He's buying a, a Snub Nose 38. And he's talking to a guy that I worked with. And the guy, that guy turns to me and he goes, I'm out. I don't, hey, Chris, any idea like what the accuracy is on something like this? <laughs> and I look at it and I go, I mean, it's as accurate as you are, man. And the guy goes, what? And I said, well, it's a snub nose revolver. Like, you know what it's made for. It's made for close contact. Somebody's on you. Right. You can fire it through a jacket or through a purse or whatever the case may be, but it's not an accuracy gun. It's, it's as accurate as you are. And the guy goes, so you're telling me there's no guarantee of accuracy on this gun? I said, on a 38 special with a two-inch barrel. He goes, yeah. I said, I'd be surprised if there is. Yes. He goes, ha, ha. I was like, I mean, what do you want from me, man? You know? So that's kind of what you get sometimes. But anyway, I thought that was great. Probably my favorite moment ever. All right. Anyway, uh, let's get into the show. Here's what we're going we're gonna to run through. Um, <laughs> Supreme Court justice, by the way, either it's all fake 
or she broke the rules of the court and politicized her own death. Okay? In the course of doing so. We'll talk about that. And then why racism is the reason for treason, which I'm really, we're going to crack the code on how everybody is blaming everything on everyone else being racist. It's kind of absurd, but it's happening. We'll talk about that. First, I want to remind you, we are on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and search out Felt Recoil Show, there's lots of fun videos there. You can see us shoot clays with a KSG. You can see us talk to Mossberg. You want to really mess with your diehard gun friends? Tell them the Mossberg shockwave is not a shotgun. And then watch them get mad and tell them there's a video online of Felt Recoil talking with Mossberg about the fact it's not actually a shotgun. And then uh, the Hudson H9. We have a video there where we talked with Cy Hudson. You can learn about the H9 because rumor mill is Daniel Defense might be bringing it back. According to the uh, interwebs. That would be awesome. But maybe it's not true. Uh, there's a lot of other rumors out there. Uh, specifically, I saw one from the Gun Collective today that I was like, hmm, be nice if they knew what they were talking about. Uh, anyway, uh, some of it is true, some of it's not, and uh, we'll see what happens there. But $15,000 rifle. <laughs> Whoa, that's not true. Um, <laughs> Wait. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. That was it exactly. <laughs> you can go see us talk with Cy Hudson, who started Hudson and designed the H9 with his wife. Uh, and talk all about it. I really hope that gun gets resurrected. I don't think it got enough credit for how revolutionary it really, really was. I think it's pretty awesome. Okay. RBG. I mean, I'm just going to ask you point blank, Patrick. Lay it on me. Did she die when they say she died? No. Okay. I thought you would say so. I don't believe so either. I really don't. It's too coincidental. Okay, if you don't know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dead. I know. I know. Yes. No, that's true. She was battling pancreatic cancer for the past many, many years. Yes, you're right. No, she was very, very ill. Yes. No, it was not COVID. It was pancreatic cancer. Okay. You better now? Okay. She's dead and uh, rest in peace to her and all that. But what's interesting about it is uh, the left, uh, we've been saying this through our social media for a while. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself. The left will stop at nothing to push their agenda. I mean, you look at cuties. Did you see my picture of canceling Netflix? Yes. <laughs> Netflix doesn't care. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, pedophilia propaganda? No problem. Oh, you want to cancel because of it? We'll respect your decision. There was no attempt to even be like, just so you know, we're allowing it to stay because of this. We don't necessarily agree. What they could have said to me that probably would have kept me was something to the extent of, you know, there's a lot of other things on there that we don't agree with what they're saying, but we believe people have a right to say these things. And cuties falls in the line with that. I still would have disagreed. I would have said, no, that's bad logic. That doesn't pass the smell test. But at least they're presenting a principle. Right? Yeah. Yeah. At least you're trying. They literally said, we'll respect your decision. It's canceled. <laughs> I was like, Wow. Wow. I, okay. I would be willing to bet that that response um, is probably because of the overwhelming amount of people who are dropping them. I sure hope so. I don't think they have time to discuss yeah. principalities. Yeah, they got to figure something out, I hope. So here's what happens. Uh, RBG dies, and word gets out that she's dead. And within hours, within hours, people show up at the Supreme Court and they're holding signs that say, honor her wish, within hours. And then we learn from websites like Slate.com 
in a report from September the 18th. Well, that's how you know it's true. Yep. That says uh, her dying words are, quote, my most fervent wish is that I not be replaced until a new president is installed. On fr- this is from Slate.com. On Friday, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died of complications from cancer at the age of 87. Journalists, commentators, former colleagues, politicians, and friends will have much to say about her extraordinary career and legacy in the days ahead. But just before she died, Ginsburg herself pointed to what will likely be the most urgent question for those who supported the causes that motivated her life's work. What will happen to her seat? Which could tip the court to a hard right majority for decades to come. As NPR reported, Ginsburg's final statement, dictated to her granddaughter Clara Spera from her deathbed, was simply, quote, My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. All right. Um, first of all, hocus pocus. I just don't believe it. Lie, lie, <laughs> lie, lie, and lie. <laughs> all of it. All of it. Uh, I'm going to go out and get my tinfoil hat. I'll be right back. Okay. It's in place. I think she died well, well before we were ever told. I'm willing to say a week. I'm going to say her body might already be in the ground. Like, by the time we heard she was dead, she was probably already six feet under dirt. And the reason I say that is because this is such a manufactured statement. There's a couple things wrong with it. There's two main glaring issues I have with it. We'll get to that in a second. But first, it's such a obviously manufactured thing that I can't help but say she was already dead. Her granddaughter is willing to do anything to further the cause. Because it's obviously a, a politis, uh, political statement here. They're politicizing her death. So either she did it herself or her family is using it to f- further their political agenda. Either way, it's pretty gross, right? Yep. So that leads me to just believe there's a little something happening in the background that was a little more coordinated than she just happened to die. Here's This is a true story. When I play with my kids and we wrestle rough upstairs, uh, a couple years ago we were doing it. I don't even remember how it happened. But we were sword fighting or whatever, and they stabbed me, and I'm supposed to die. And I fell on the floor, and I said, before I die, let me say one final thing. And they all gathered around, and I was like, I never really liked (laughs) Chick-fil-A. And I die, right? And they thought it was so funny that I then it just became the thing where now when I die, I give some food we eat as a habit and I say I never really liked it or I just name a food, you know, whatever. That's what this feels like to me. Like, how absurd would it be? Because I don't think I'm imagining your neighbors overhearing you just like eight o'clock at night. That's crisp fall evening right now. The windows are open. Right. And they hear some ruckus. And then they just hear you yell out, Beach Cobbler! Yeah. And then you just fall over. That's ha- that, that has happened. Uh, hot dogs are always my favorite food is one of the things I've said. <laughs> things like that, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, when I said the Chick-fil-A thing, though, what was most interesting is that my kids all started crying and said, but that means you won't go to heaven, which is true. <laughs> so that was... I had to back up and go, okay, I was just kidding. Um, <laughs> the thing the thing about RBG is, here's the two problems. Number one, 
Uh, if you're a Supreme Court justice, you cannot take a side with politics. And that is why when you watch the State of the Union, they don't applaud, they don't stand, they sit there stoically, and they're not supposed to have a political opinion. Even though we know they do, they're not supposed to have a political opinion or an agenda. They're supposed to interpret the law as the law. So she broke decorum by acting this way. She should know better. I don't think she actually said it, but if she did, she should have known better. Number two, here's the problem. She did not say until after the election. She did not say until after the inauguration. She said after a new president is installed. So are we to believe that she's an idiot and that she thought maybe the nation would wait for five years for a new president? Or you see what I'm saying here? I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. Or, Or is she not smart enough to know that there's a chance Donald Trump will win on November 3rd? So it's, she, she politicized her own death and then pro, in proving her partisanship said, you guys should hold on for five years until a new president comes. Well, Chris, you know what she meant? No, no, no. I know what she said. The lady was sitting on the Supreme Court. She knows well enough to not mince words. I think everything you just mentioned points to the fact that she never said any of it. It's all contrived. And I'll go further. Please do. Taking this way back to when Scalia died, and she mentioned uh, essentially that presidents are elected for four years, not three. So despite it being an election year, mm. essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, she's basically saying go ahead and fill the seat. Yeah. So how would Scalia's death be any different than her death given the time frame, right? Fourth, yeah. fourth year of a, a first-term president. Well, I don't think Obama had RBG killed. That would be one difference. That is oh. that's true. That's true, yeah. They didn't find her with a pillow over her head. Right? <laughs> Just kidding. That wasn't true. I'm joking. Even uh, his family has said. He but had again, a condition. Uh, yeah. so, that, so that's a little bit further in the past. Right. Uh, let's speed up to about a week ago mm-hmm. when the president suddenly, out of thin air, releases a short list of potential uh, Supreme Court nominees. Mm-hmm. I can't get past the fact that that happened. And then within a week, she's dead. Croak. That it just doesn't sit right. Yeah. Something tells me it was uh, a secret amongst, uh, you know, the circles of people like the president, the other people on the court, probably people like Pelosi and, and the like. And if they and if it was, if that's true, if she really did die a week ago, then that gave them some time to go, okay, well, how do we how do we twist this to make it sound like if Trump uh, tries to put somebody in there, eh, he's the worst thing ever. Yeah. Okay. How could you go against grandma's dying wishes? Right. You know, old Grammy had things she wanted to do. Yep. You can't undo her legacy by sticking to the Constitution. You're a terrible human. Um, my dad was making an interesting point earlier tonight that I thought, yeah, it makes a lot of sense in that, uh, Ginsburg probably would have retired had Hillary won and let Hillary fill the seat, but she didn't. And she held on until she croaked, uh, because Trump got elected, which brings me to say, A, I think that's absolutely right. And B, doesn't it prove the problem of the Supreme court? Well, like, don't you think though, that she, she was sure that Hillary was going to win? Absolutely. Otherwise, she would have stepped down. Because there's all kinds of videos. Have you seen the videos of these people melting down? Where Mm-mm. So there's videos online now where these people have recorded themselves having like a mental break. 
I like over it. this. I like it. It's actually, can you imagine? It's pretty hilarious. Um, it's a like the bit, leave Britney alone guy from yeah, years ago. That's pretty much exactly what this is. And there's people cursing RBG saying, why didn't you retire under Obama? Yeah. So that Obama could fill that seat. Exactly right. Good question. So, I, I mean, those people aren't wrong. Right. Uh, Would have been a better strategy. Except, yeah. Except the problem is they don't care. <laughs> right? I was going to say, yes, but <laughs> it, they think that it's all going to work out in their favor. So why bother with a strategy mm-hmm. when your strategy is, well, we're the best. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at the Supreme Court, and the fact of the matter is right, left, center, indifferent, doesn't matter. The nine justices of the Supreme Court believe, and they've, you have to go, in case you don't know, you have to go back and realize that the, the power of judicial review is not in the Constitution. It's not a thing. The Supreme Court gave that power to itself. It decided. Marbury versus Madison was the decision the Supreme Court made if I remember correctly, where they said, we can come in and decide if a law is constitutional or not. That's right. That's not it. They were never enumerated that power in the Constitution. They just decided they have it, much like Roe versus Wade. It's nowhere in the Constitution that a woman has a right to an abortion or privacy with her doctor. The Supreme Court just found that right in there. Same thing with marriage. There's no right to marriage, be it gay or straight, in the Constitution. It doesn't exist. But the Supreme Court recently just discovered it's there. So these nine people, who are completely unelected, by the way, gave themselves the power they now have. And so they deem themselves the supreme leaders of the nation. They are more powerful than a president. They are. And they're unelected officials. Well, they serve an unending term. Exactly right. Which, I mean... Unelected, appointed for life. By the Constitution. I mean, so uh, Washington, right? Mm -hmm. So when he was uh, initially approached about running the country, they wanted to make him king. Yeah. Uh, Correct? That's correct. So, and he basically said, no, that's what we were fighting against. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do that. Yeah. And so the Constitution was so written in a way that we're not going to give someone this supreme power that's everlasting until their dying breath. Yeah. So it's funny to me that we we don't we don't allow our president to do that, but yet here we we have this uh, ruling governing body that has yeah. potentially more power than the president. A lot. I mean, sure, presidents can enact uh, executive orders and things of that nature, and they can sign bills into law. But just like you just said, you have a Supreme Court that can just suddenly decide something is so. Yep. And those folks are we're stuck with them i mean for, frankly for the, un, until the length of their life until they you know decide to have cancer 17 times and finally <laughs> give up and that is exactly the point because you have a woman who was cancer ridden who if she cared about the country would have stepped down the minute she knew she had an ailment that would distract from her doing her duty all this talk about she can still perform her job Nobody that's riddled with cancer is 100%, and rightfully so, by the way. Nobody is no 100% focused on work at that time. And no one's faulting you. Right. Not at all. No, no one's going to go, I'm, I can't believe she's going to step down. She's got pancreatic cancer for the 17th time. Right. 
No. She can't we stick it out. The country needs her. It's time to take a break. Yep. And I'll, you know, look, I don't, maybe, maybe I think a little bit differently than some of these egomaniacal uh, people in government, like John McCain, who was riddled with cancer. And, same thing. And stuck it out to the end. I'd have the same criticism. If I'm in that position where I'm terminally ill, mm-hmm. the last thing I want to do is work. Every day. It's so strange to me that these people, uh, it, it it can only be ego. It's just yeah. beyond me that they want to stick it out. It doesn't make any sense. And there's a funny tie, by the way, to Washington and the Supreme Court, exactly what we're talking about. Because you remember, they gave Washington a third term. They, they, he could have had as many terms as he wanted. And he said, I'm going to do two, and I'm going to retire. And you guys are going to pick somebody else. And then there's a famous moment where he did, and he and Adams changed places. Yep, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Went straight to him. Yeah, that was it. Okay, well, we're done. Thanks on, for joining that's us. Why he's on the penny. Uh, there was a moment where uh, the legend goes that when uh, Adams came in to take the oath of office, Washington basically said, best of luck to you, man. Like, this is yours now, and I'm out. And I'm, and we'll see who's happier for it. And and Washington knew that he was going to be the happier of the two. And um, if you've ever seen John Adams on HBO, they, they portray that moment. And that's historically accurate. They, they claim that happened. Uh, anyway, the point is, um, so Washington leaves and he says, I'm not taking a third term. I think two's enough. And um, traditionally presidents stuck to that until we got to FDR. And then FDR said, nobody, nobody's stopping me. There's no law to stop me. And here's a guy riddled with a disease. The nation, by the way, didn't know he was riddled right. with his disease. He's doing his fireside chats on the radio. He's trying to convince people that this is a thing, unless you're Joe Biden, he was on TV, which wasn't invented, if you remember. Uh, infamous Biden gaffe from back in the day. Um, Record players. Yeah. And so he's on, uh, he's on the radio. And he's doing his thing, and he got elected. Uh, was it his third or fourth term? He served three, and I think he died in his fourth. Yeah, I think that's right. Somebody go back and, and historically check me on that. Hold on. How many times did FDR get elected? Because here's the problem. Uh, what happened was, yeah, he served four terms. He died in his fourth term. Um, there was no 22nd Amendment at the time. Okay, so the man gets elected to a fourth term. He dies, and the nation discovers, oh, holy crap, he's like battling this debilitating disease. FDR tried to stack the Supreme Court, if you remembered. It was a political play for him where he said, fine, I'm going to appoint more. So they had the majority uh, in the Congress. He said, give me the right to have, I think he wanted 12 Supreme Court justices, and that way he could continue to ram these terribly anti-American pieces of legislation through. Like when you talk about government expansion, FDR was your guy. He was terrible for the country. He prolonged the depression well beyond what it ever would have naturally done on its own. Amity Schley's has a great book called The Forgotten Man. If you want to read up on it, uh, go get that book and read it. Uh, And she lays out what unemployment was, how it naturally recovered, and then actually how it went back up under FDR's programs where he just bloated the government with projects that didn't need to be government projects. But not to get too in the weeds, the point is he was so bad of a president, such a terrible president, 
that as soon as he died and was out of the way, the Congress enacted the 22nd Amendment. And if you want to know one of the hardest things to make happen, talk to your friends about getting a constitutional amendment enacted. Right. Like you're talking two-thirds majority everywhere all the way through, and then the president has to sign it. And they came in and said, okay, eight years should be it. We can't because what you have here under FDR is majority tyranny in a sense. Like everybody's impassioned about this guy. They want him to keep going, keep going, keep going. And he's basically telling them, let the government feed you. Let the government help you. What he did was he put Americans in poverty and then said, I'm the only way out of that. Keep voting for me. And he seized power that way. And the Congress stepped in, thank God, and said, we need 22nd Amendment. But in so doing, he tried to pack the court so that he could shove everything through because the court had seized as much power as it had. Which is essentially what the Democrats are proposing now. Right. Because they yep. realize yep. Uh, the fatal flaw, pun intended, that Ginsburg uh, committed by holding out and then now yeah. passing uh, before the election. Yep. And so now knowing that the, the court would be, uh, you know, heavily weighed in favor of conservatives, which is a little debatable uh, if you're looking at some of Robert's decisions and some of these other guys. Yeah, not even close, huh? Uh, I, I'm not sure I would call them conservatives, but... Um, Roberts you know. definitely is not. No, Whoa, so, sorry. I mean, uh, you know, but that's okay. Uh, the Democrats are not uh, satisfied with that, so I think what they are planning on doing is, and I, obviously this would take some, some doing, uh, they'd have to keep the Senate, uh, and then some, uh, but stacking the court and adding who knows how many people I've heard a few different numbers, uh, but either way they'd have to get Biden in there too. Mm-hmm. So that's their first hurdle. Yeah. Ain't gonna and, happen. And I mean, ain't gonna, it's going to be a bloodbath uh, kind of literally if you really think about it, but also Biden's going to lose so hard. Like I can't imagine anybody honestly thinking that man has a chance to win it. I really don't. By the way, speaking of him cheating to win, <laughs> did you see what happened in Chicago? Did you see that story about the Chicago mail carriers are saying if they don't stop no. getting shot, they're not going to do the mail anymore? Legit. So how's mail-in Wait, voting going to work now? Yeah, they're literally killing so many people in Chicago that the U.S. Postal Service in Chicago has said we're going to stop running mail if you don't get it under control. Good Isn't that for wild? Isn't that wild? And now people like Joe Biden are Welcome like, to 2020. Well, that's the way it needs to be. That's the way it needs to be. 200 million people dead. <laughs> 200 million. Uh, a little teaser of our vote of the week this week. Um, sorry, I cut you off. Were you done? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. All right. Yeah, so RBG, I don't believe any of it. I think they're making it up. I think they're exploiting her death. Or she exploited her own death. Do you remember when I think Fox News in sometime in 2019 ran? We may have talked about this before, but they ran a, a thing uh, like a breaking news clip, and it was a picture of her and basically announcing that she had died in 2019. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but think when I saw it on TV. Uh, they they. I think I texted you. They preempted the news. So the news was on. Local news was on. They stopped the story they were talking about, went back uh, to the anchor, and he says, uh, you know, breaking news. It's just in. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away, yada, yada, yada. And I thought, 
I mean, but like for real this time, or right. like is yeah. this is this like last year when y'all told us that? Because yeah. it's yeah. getting hard to separate right now. I can't really tell. I don't know that it's a dirty secret, but it is true that every newsroom has uh, obituaries. A death reel. Yeah, for anybody that's famous and ailing, they go ahead and put it together so they can be right there, Johnny, on the spot when it uh, does happen. I, I mean, I feel like you have to. Yeah. They're, they're waiting on it. Um, I don't remember who it was. When I was in that and doing that job, there was somebody, and it started going around, and they had us reading obituaries for somebody that was still alive, and they wanted to go ahead and have them on record. But I don't remember who the individual was. Oh, well, it doesn't matter too much. But, yeah, yeah, it's a thing. kind of smells uh, of, like, uh, when people find out that allegedly they've died, but they're still alive, so they get on yeah. Twitter and say, like, no, nah, yeah. I'm still here. Or my son earlier today. We were recording some stuff, and uh, he said, Dad, what are your last words? And I was like, oh, <laughs> ominous. What are you putting together here? <laughs> uh, very much like that. Anyway, all right. Uh, don't forget, you can find everything you need to know about the Felt Recall Show at feltrecoalshow.com. We live on the Internet. Uh, come find us there on Facebook, on Instagram right now. You can see uh, my son shot a gun for the first time. It was pretty awesome, and so we took some video, had a good time with him, and we're curious to know what the first gun you shot was. Uh, You can tell us there on our Instagram right now. We'd love to hear it. Okay, uh, we have reached a point of no return with the Black Lives Matter movement, and I want to tell you something. I don't care who knows it. I doubt I get recognized by the Black Lives Matter movement, but I... For your uh, heroism? For my heroism, the things I've done for the community. My wife and I had a lengthy conversation on the back porch today, and I just want to reiterate, I've said it here before, but everybody needs to turn everything off. Um, here's something for you, by the way. Patrick and I don't really watch the news a lot, okay? My news kind of comes uh, through social media, and I don't mean that by I see what my friends are saying and I believe it. I mean it by I subscribe to the Daily Wire and the Blaze and the Daily Caller, Um a few others that are on there, but I just put them first in my news feed and I see what piques my interest and I read those articles and that's that and I'm done. I don't watch news on TV at all, hardly ever anymore. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. Um, I lived and breathed news talk for many years. I had a three hour long single host me show every day for a long time. Uh, I did a weekend news talk program for a long time. Um, I anchored uh, for a news company for a long time. I've done those things for years, and I consumed news 24-7 nonstop. And I became a better person mentally when I could, when I could just give it all up. And when I, when the, So I worked uh, for the Blaze. I don't know if – I don't think there's any conflict here. I worked for the Blaze. And they had a radio side of life that was trying to be a 24-7 news agency. And um, that just meant you were constantly consuming news. Like there were emails every hour with what we were talking about, what we should be talking about, what we should be covering. And when they shut that operation down and they let everybody go, which was really an intriguing story in and of itself, but uh, <laughs> when they shut all that down, I said to my wife, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to watch the news anymore. I'm going to turn it off. And there was a solid year or two. I, never, I didn't watch Fox News. I didn't read the articles. I didn't care. I, it wasn't that I didn't care. It's not the right way to say it. I just felt like maybe there's something to unplugging it all. And I'm just going to unplug it all. And so I did. And it felt great. And I felt better. 
And so that said is to say that the, the nation as a whole needs to do that now. The media is not your friend. The media has a narrative. It has an agenda. And that agenda is to make money. And that made money is made by whatever narrative keeps the people in a tizzy. And right now, the narrative the media is pushing is that the coronavirus will kill you indiscriminately. It does not care who you are. It does not care if you have pre-existing conditions or not. It will kill you at any age, and it will kill you quickly. And that black people hate white people and are in the streets attacking them so as to start a civil war. That's the two things the news is pushing on you that are absolutely not true. Neither of them are true. I had a recent conversation with somebody really close to me where they said, man, the news makes me think these things. And I said, you got to turn the news off. Just turn, stop, turn it off. Because I'm going to tell you something. We have a black family in basically every other house on our street. And they're the only good people on our street <laughs> outside of the house next to us. I've seen some of your neighbors. I yeah. can vouch for that. The house next to us is great. They're white people. House next to them is white people who are terrible. House across from me is white people who are terrible. Like, if the people in the house across from me know what year it is, I would be surprised. I really would. They are so high all the time. I don't know what to do with them. And they're old and they're high. I think they're growing it. Anyway, um, our neighborhood has a couple of houses that are a mess, just people that are problematic. They don't mess with us. But when DSS shows up and starts asking questions, we're as honest as we need to be. Yes. Why, why are you such a race trader? <laughs> I really am. Um, the black people on our street are the good people, and that's the funny truth of it. And uh, there shouldn't be any tinge of discomfort with that statement, and you shouldn't even have to make that statement. My point is that that's the reality of our world, right? But if you were to turn the news on, you would think, okay, can I talk to them? Can I say anything to them? You know? Uh, I, we, we work with a black guy who's an ardent Trump supporter, <laughs> right? Like these things aren't supposed to exist. If you watch the news, they're just not supposed to be there. So I'm telling you all that to say, that I think you need to turn the news off. I think you need to pay attention to the world around you, but you also need to be aware of what's happening in, on a larger scale. So we know that Marxists started the black lives matter movement. We know that they are, uh, perpetuating the movement by encouraging violence, we know Joe Biden supporters are out there as a part of the violence. And we have to think about how we survive the environment we're given, right? So what I did that I I mean this sincerely, I bought four face masks because you have to wear them everywhere you go now, right? And they have a fist. No, you don't, but okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'm going to a shooting event this next week. And I'm tempted to wear one of these masks yes. because they're requiring it. Please do it. And I think it's funny that people who are like out there shooting their guns as if, oh, I trained so hard, I'll save the world. Oh, the flu? Put a mask on. Uh, I don't believe they're actually doing it. Uh, Our Instagram is going to be lit. It's going to be awesome. We were told we, we needed to bring masks. And so I bought, I'm conflating stories here. I'm not going to do this because I'll be representing where I work. So I'm not going to do it. But I bought four, we have to drive through Atlanta. To get where we're going. And Atlanta is problematic right now. And I bought four masks that have a fist and say Black Lives Matter on them. It's a very diplomatic way to say that. That's right. I am under the impression, and this is, I said this a couple weeks ago, this isn't me, this is Boone 
from 13 hours. His advice is swallow your ego, blend in. So I bought these masks because if I run into trouble, I'm going to throw my mask on. It's going to say Black Lives Matter. I'm going to put my fist in the air and I'm going to drive through that crowd, hopefully peacefully. Right. Because my objective is not to have any conflict with these people. My objective is to get home to my family safely. Well, you know, when you first told me about this, I, first things first, did not take you seriously. Uh, For very, I feel like, obvious reasons. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, I know you. Right. So there's that. Um, and then you were like, no, I'm serious. I'm literally ordering these and you got them on like Etsy or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, found so, an Etsy shop selling them. So then you convinced me it was a real thing. You were really going to do it. And I thought, I can't believe Chris would give someone money mm-hmm. for a BLM, mm-hmm. anything, mm-hmm. right? Someone is profiting. Someone's taking Chris for millions money. Yes. For black lives matter. That's right. And I thought, man, do I know him? Because yeah. a minute ago I thought I did, but yeah. now I'm not so sure. Yeah, uh, I feel like he's a pretty principled guy. Uh, lets his wallet do the voting a lot of times. Right. Uh, so I'm a little confused. And then <laughs> right. you convinced me of why, and I thought, okay. I I see no, no flaws in that. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to, right? Like, funny enough, I was riding with my son today, and he saw him in the truck, and he goes, what are those? And I said, ah, it's face mask, but, you know, don't worry about it. He's like, what do they say on it? And so I showed it to him, and, and he goes, why do you have those? And I said, well, um, remember I told you. So here's something that happened, by the way. The night they came to downtown, and they started shutting the streets off, yep. right? We had been building up to a sleepover at Grandma and Grandpa's for a couple of weeks for the kids, okay? And it wasn't a panic enough that I thought, okay, it'd be unsafe to be at my parents' house. But we knew they had taken over 385, which is a main thoroughfare in our town. And we knew they had they were talking on social media about going into the main roads. We live kind of outside of town, probably not a lot to worry about. Called my dad, talked about what his plan would be, this and that. You know, mm-hmm. what are you guys going to do? So I thought, better to not disrupt daily life. Let's get out and see what happens. So I took a drive around. I didn't see anything happening. So packed the kiddos up to go to grandma and grandpa's, but I put a rifle in the truck. So I have a federal tax stamp for a short barreled rifle. And all I'll say is <laughs> I took it with me in a way that uh, it wasn't going to be a joke. If somebody, I mean, I got a car full of kids. We're not, we're not goofing around at that point. Right. Except that it was still the idea of get through peacefully. Just get through peace. Right. I don't want any conflict, but I'm not going to be unprepared for conflict, if that makes sense. So I'm telling you that to say that uh, when we got the kids in the car, I had some extra gear with me, and they were like, what's, what's going on with this stuff? And I said, look, if we hit any sort of trouble, if something happens while we're driving, which probably won't happen, just do as you're told. Just think about that. Just do as you're told. Just some bad people out there right now, and, and we want to be extra careful. Okay, no big deal. So a couple of days later, we had a conversation, and I said, um, I don't remember what it was that we canceled, but we canceled something because it was downtown Greenville. And I said, we're not going because there's bad people in the streets. They're taking over the streets, and they're trying to cause trouble, and I don't want that to happen to you. He said, okay. And I kind of explained it a little bit to him. So today, we're riding. He sees the masks, and I said, you know those bad people? He goes, yeah. I said, they're still taking over the streets. They're beating on cars. They're being very mean to people. And if we come across them, these masks will make it look like we support them. 
and that we're on their side. And the hope and the idea is you put the mask on, put your fist in the air, give them a thumbs up. Hopefully they let you drive through and we can go home and, and nobody hurts us. And he goes, kid you not. He goes, well, I can't blame you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, thanks. He goes, I actually think that's a great idea. I said, wasn't mine. Wasn't mine. It was from Boone. By the way, we have an autographed picture of Boone upstairs. I got to meet him at the NRA show, yep. him and Chris uh, Tonto uh, from 13 Hours. I got to meet the two of them. And uh, my son was born on September 13th of 2012. So Benghazi was unfolding live on TV as my wife was in labor. So when I met them, I told them that. My son was coming into the world as you guys were over there literally fighting to save it. And that's a big deal to me. Like, I don't know. I, I don't want to be, you know, that guy, but that's a big deal to me. And so they signed a couple of pictures for him that are hanging uh, in the room upstairs. And so I got to tell him that, which I thought was cool, was that guy whose picture you have, that was his idea. He said that, and yeah. I got that from him. So anyway, yeah, I did. I bought the masks, and they're in my car, and I would encourage anyone and everyone willing to do Look, I get it. I get it. it's 20 bucks to somebody making masks for Black Lives Matter, but what's it's a $20 insurance policy. In a sense, I have taken a slightly different uh, approach. <laughs> okay, uh, right. I I was in the parking lot uh, at work, and one of the corporate guys was there, and he asked me something, and we walked over, and he opened the back door of my truck, and he sees a uh, rifle in the floorboard, plate carrier on the back seat, right. loaded down, sure, uh, with all the accoutrement. Right. And he goes, damn, Patty, what you think's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I said, well, it's not about what I think will happen. Uh, it's about two things. One, I live downtown. Yeah. Uh, and two, my baby girl goes to a daycare at a church downtown, mm-hmm. right in the heart of downtown. And I mean right in the very middle of it. And worth noting, by the way, that they came to your street almost one time. Uh, they were very close. Not a joke. They were they were within, you know, within stone's blocks. Throw. Yeah. Within blocks. Yeah. And so I basically made the point to this guy that um, I'm not taking any chances. Um, if if I get word that that there's you know any any kind of shenanigans going on around that daycare around that church, your boy's going to be coming in on two wheels, coming in hot. I'm going to be coming in real hot. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I, I get where you're coming from. I really yeah. do. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Um, I know there's, there's going to be a lot of people that take issue with that idea. Uh, and I, I, nothing but ego though. I, yeah. I kind of get it. I, but if you just think about it for a second, it goes, it harkens back by the way, bad idea. And, but look, Hate to be the broken record here, but we took a Travis Haley class. <laughs> what we did, yeah, and uh, and and there is no better instructor of both the shooting discipline and the cognitive abilities necessary to maintain proper shooting discipline. Well, and the fact than that Travis they Haley, hand hand. they go hand in hand. Tra- Travis Haley and Haley Strategic Partners are bar none, in my opinion, bar none, the best trainers out there and here's why here's why because we spent three 12-hour days Mm -hmm. with these guys okay and you're not mag dumping to learn you're not mag dumping at all by the way every shot matters in a Haley strategic course okay 
And for the most part, um, Travis isn't there. Who knows? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, uh, it's a different story. It's a different story. For a different day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there's a podcast about it, if you thumb through. Uh, Travis's big thing was, you're going to shoot at these inch circles, and you're going to realize that the uh, the science applies in all scenarios. One meaning, in, One inch at three yards. One inch at three yards became one inch at a hundred yards, right? Like meaning he said, if you can hit this inch at three yards over and over and over again throughout the week, we'll back up to a hundred yards and you'll hit a man sized silhouette without issue. Watch me. And there was a guy in the class that disagreed with him. And then we all did it. And that guy looked like the idiot that he really was. Yep. And the point is this, the point is this three 12 hour days with Travis Haley and Nate LeCompte, who was amazing and just learning, 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 and studying the human brain, and then getting out there and applying what you've been taught in the classroom. And all that, all that comes down to um, Travis standing in front of the class, and he goes, okay, we'll war game a scenario. You've been out here, you've trained with us, you know what you know. Let's say you're in a shopping mall with your family, and somebody starts shooting. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And the whole room stays quiet. And he goes, come on, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The whole room stays quiet. And he remember, he singled this guy out. And he goes, you work for the FBI, right? And the guy goes, yeah. And he goes, okay, what are you going to do? You work for the FBI. You've been trained by the federal government. You were in the whatever military service the guy was in. You were in this. You've done that. You work for the FBI. Now you've been through a Haley strategic course. What are you going to do? And the guy was like, I'm probably going to hightail it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, by the way. And the guy goes, I'm probably going to hightail it out of there, man. And Travis goes, <laughs> After all this training, you hightail it out of there? And the guy's like, yeah. Travis goes, good. Good, because that's the right decision. Because your priority, your obligation on a moral level is not to those people. It's actually to your family. You have an obligation as a man to protect your family. So you get your family out of the mess. And if those people follow you outside or an occasion arises for some reason, you have to engage them, then apply what you've learned and engage the bad guys. But for the most part, your obligation, for the entirety of it all, your obligation is to your family. You get your family out of there. So look. And to, and to your point. Yeah. The, if, if the means to that obligation are you put a mask on. Amen, brother. BLM on it. And you know in your heart of hearts that that's not you. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I don't care. If you got to go in. Uh, to the church daycare on two wheels. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's okay. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. You, you, listen, you're 100% right. And I think, uh, I don't want to be cliche when I say it, but it's almost something only a parent can understand. You know, like certainly if you're married, you probably get it too. But I I can tell you, matter of fact, that the the biggest argument I've ever had with my wife where I thought this is a point of no return argument was the Obama administration was floating the idea of registering firearms. Do you remember this? I do. And the federal registry was on the line and I was a hard, actually went ahead and turned you in. (laughs) You did. And then they didn't follow through on it. So that was super awkward. (laughs) I got to meet Joe Biden. (laughs) Coincidentally, shotgun. (laughs) He forgot why he was there. So it worked out. Yeah. uh, But, we were talking about it, and I said, absolutely not. And she said, well, if they, if they pass the law, we would. And I said, nope. She said, yes, you would. I said, no, I wouldn't. And we, I think our son was a newbie at that point. 
And she was like, but we would. I said, but we won't. And she was like, then what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to shoot a tyrant in the face. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, I fear that, and I don't want that. But somebody's got it. Somebody at some point has to say, nah, man, nah, we're free people, and you can't do that. Here's where, uh, this, and this is a John Stuart Mill argument. This isn't me. This is philosophy 101. The government exists to protect the people, and that is where it begins and ends. You have an obligation as the government to protect people from evil occurring to them, okay? Meaning, as we've all heard, your right to swing your fist ends where the other guy's nose begins. That's the government, but that's where it begins and ends, right? Like, they're in that space. They're in the arc of the swing, if you will. That's it, okay? And it should begin at the beginning of the other guy's fist, and it should end at my nose. That's where they live and breathe, we had just a, like a real serious fight about, I was like, ain't going to happen. And she's like, well, I would do it. And I was like, then I'd leave. I'd pack everything. I'd go. And you'd be on your own because I'm not turning them in. And they're not, and they're not going to be registered. Like, it was a big fight. It was pointless looking back, but it was like, you know, it was a real kind of moment for us where we, we had to hash out the difference of what would that mean? And my point to her was, um, your fam, her family's full of missionaries, right? So I took the side of, well, what are you going to do when, when they say you have to register your religion? You can go down and register your religion with the government. You going to do that because it's and it's, it's an infringement on the same plane. These are your rights as a human. I don't know if you know. I can ask her. It's not a big deal, right? Is there a secret handshake? For Antifa, or is it just like anybody can show up? Or like, how does that work? Anybody. Okay. Yeah, anybody. All right. Uh, we hashed it out. And, Asking for a friend. And I'm not trying to say I won the argument, but there was a time later, a long time later, I'm sure, where we, we revisited. And she said, you know, at the time I felt like that would be the right thing to do, but now I do see that there's a line there that shouldn't be crossed, and you can't allow it to cross. And my point is, whole point of bringing that up is, that was with a newborn, and I was like, no, I'm going to die on this hill. Like, I'm willing to die on that hill. But that kind of changes. Once you become a parent, you got I got three kids now. I got a wife. I got a family and all that. It's not that the principle changes because I would still die on that hill. You know, you're not coming for the guns. You're certainly, uh, you know, we got a, a thing happening in our neighborhood with a family and their kids. And we talk about where does the government's right to intervene begin and end. And I'm not saying what's right or wrong in that current situation. I'm just saying we've had that conversation recently. Those all become things that you begin going, okay, where where do you draw that line? Like at some point, you want to stand up for what's right and you're obligated. You're, you're a Kyle Rittenhouse. He came up in conversation recently. And all these guys want to talk about what's right or wrong with what he did. And I said, we, why are we all ignoring the premise? The premise here is that in Wisconsin, where Kyle Rittenhouse had to act, the government and the police could not fulfill their obligation to the people. They could not. They were not physically able to fulfill their obligation to the people to protect the people from evil. So we need people like Rittenhouse who are willing to go out, even at 17, and say there's God's law and there's man's law, and those are separate things, and I'll follow my obligation to the first of the two, and I'll say to you that you are not allowed to destroy my community because by God's law, I have a right to my life, my liberty, and my property. And you do not have a right to come and tear it down. And I'll defend it if I need to defend it. And if my neighbor asks me, which was Rittenhouse's case, if my neighbor asks me to defend those things, I will defend them for him. 
I don't see a problem with it. I don't see a problem at all. So anyway, that came up, and that's how I feel about the whole Black Lives Matter is taking over your streets. If you need to blend in, get a mask and blend in. Because here's the thing. The racism is the reason for the treason, right? These people are literally committing treason against the country. They are literally attacking police officers. They're calling for an overthrow of the government. They're marching anywhere where the blue governments will allow them to march. And they're killing people in the streets. They're destroying things. If you saw the Portland video from this week, two guys in a black truck, the rioters surround them and say, put your fist in the air and say Black Lives Matter. The guys are willing to put their fist in the air. They're not willing to say Black Lives Matter. So what happens? They let them through, and then they later destroy the truck. It's a big deal what's happening out there. But but they are isolated incidents, right? I don't know that I would say the country is at war. I do think there's a civil war happening. I would put it in air quotes because it's isolated in certain areas, Mm -hmm. right? Portland and the the leaders of Portland, specifically their DA, who was Soros funded, by the way, that guy is allowing the civil war to happen. In Atlanta, we saw their mayor, Saggy Bottoms, whatever her name was, Saggy Bottom. Uh, She allowed the death of children because she encouraged the protests. Those protests got kids killed. There's a connection there. She is on the hook for that. These people are allowing it to happen in certain areas. You have to be very careful uh, in that regard. But if the government is failing, the people have an obligation to step up and, and do what the government is refusing to do. But it doesn't mean that your neighbor's are part of the problem just because they look the part that the media would have you believe is the part. We were laughing tonight. We were watching Tucker Carlson, and he's playing a clip in out of Miami, and there it is. A, not a joke. You got black cops, a row of black cops, being screamed at by a row of white women. <laughs> you know what I'm well, saying? I was going to make the point, like you're talking about your neighbors, how your black neighbors are respectable and the white ones aren't. <laughs> it's the only if way you look it goes. at the people that are protesting, it's it, pretty clearly it's young white people. There's not, there's not right. a, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me that there's a ton of black people at the center of this movement, which I think is kind of comical. You're exactly right. Which to me, so only the founders, the yeah, Marxists sure. are black people. I that think it seems to be where it begins and ends. Well, but it's it's so this this is a communist movement clouded uh, by race, so that anyone that is in opposition is now a racist. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. So that I, I mean, that's what the whole premise of this thing is. I if you look at uh, because this idea of BLM is not new. Uh, but yet is raising tons and tons of money. That amazing. But where is that money going? Yeah. It's going to act blue. I think is the primary uh, organization, which essentially is funneling all that money to uh, the Biden camp. That the, if I were giving money to BLM, I would think and hope that that money, I can speak to this. Go ahead. Yeah. You, I should just let you talk. I don't. I don't know why I'm even bringing it up. I don't. We don't need hypotheticals here because, uh, my man, you have already given them all the dough. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. If if you're if you're giving money to Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. I would feel like 
I would want to see that money do something right and just to right. to promote the fact that black lives matter. However, I don't see anything except death and destruction. And I right. don't mean that to sound uh, like uh, I'm, I'm being, uh, you know, over the top. That right. is literally what's happening. Yeah. You look at the number of deaths that have uh, been left in the wake of these riots and looting and all this stuff, and it's actually starting to tick up. They're starting to add up yeah. to more deaths than you see of unarmed black men by white police officers in the country. Oh, already. We're well over I mean, that. Yeah. We'll probably double it. What, the number from 2019 was 14, something right. like that, yeah. 14 quote-unquote unarmed black men killed by police officers last year. And you look, I mean, you look at some of the folks that have, have died. You mentioned the, the children in Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, Officer David Dorn. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on and on and on That's right. in multiple cities. Two officers in L.A. executed. Well, they didn't die. No, they didn't die. They no, tried. That's right. Uh, but, I mean, they were very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of others haven't been. Right. On, on both sides of the, the issue, from I'm talking police officers and protesters, you look at the number of protesters that have been shot and killed. Uh, in this you know, sort of mob acts, yeah, it, it, it's not a number to you know snub your nose at. There's that story. I want to say Oklahoma. This is from the DailyWire.com. Omaha, so that's Nebraska. An Omaha bar owner, two-tour veteran, cleared by Douglas County District Attorney Don Klein of charges after fatally shooting a rioter outside of his bar in May. Here's what happened. Jake Gardner, he's 38 years old. He owned a bar. And he goes down to protect it from a bunch of rioters and looters. He gets surrounded by people. He shows them he's carrying a firearm. He tells them not to mess with him. He pulls the firearm, puts it by his side, just enough to try to dissuade some violence. Is that legal? Is it not? Don't know. Don't care. It doesn't matter because he reholstered his firearm. And when he did, a woman ran behind him and tackled him. After he did, after the woman tackles him, 22 year old James Skurlock put Gardner in a chokehold. Gardner, now fearing for his life because, you know, this guy's trying to choke me out and he knows I have a gun. So we can only assume he's going to take my gun and use it against me. Gardner then uses the gun on Skurlock, kills him. All right. Gardner, 38, shot 22-year-old James Skurlock after he was, quote-unquote, protesting the death of George Floyd. According to the district attorney, at the time, still the district attorney, but at the time of the shooting, Don Klein said he acted in self-defense. Jake Gardner did. However, following unrest largely because of the races of Skurlock, who just so happens to be black, and Gardner, who just so happens to be black, uh, to be white, The DA appointed a special prosecutor and a grand jury hoping to, quote, restore public faith in the justice system because, you know, mob rule, that's justice. Anyway, the special prosecutor was a guy named Fred Franklin who said he initially thought Gardner acted in self-defense, but he agreed when the grand jury announced last Wednesday that the bar owner was now to be indicted on charges of manslaughter, attempted first-degree assault, terroristic threats, and use of a firearm in connection with a felony. So they indicted Gardner. He was set to turn himself in, except that he committed suicide on Sunday night. Gardner's attorney 
Stu Dornan and Tom Monaghan, according to the Omaha World Herald, said their client's suicide stemmed from, quote, a cocktail of behavioral health problems stemming from head trauma he experienced during the military service and the belief that people were out to kill him, plus the incessant rush to judgment by social media jockeys. Gardner, by the way, was also receiving numerous death threats, of course. I saw him being branded as a far-right nationalist on social media, but there's no evidence to corroborate that. Uh, The grand jury says they have access to his text messages, Facebook messages, and so on. Uh, They have a um, video tape of him inside of his bar before heading out front, um, but there's no audio to it. So we don't know exactly what was going on there. But he went out, tried to stop people from ransacking his business, got attacked, shot some people, and then ended up committing suicide. This is, you know, uh, it, it's just absolutely majority tyranny. This this is people, uh, an enraged and impassioned majority of people who are out there making the justice system work in a very perverse way and causing people their lives. Um, it's become the new excuse it's not just the scarlet letter. Racism has become the reason for everything. And here's where I'll just leave it after this because I find it so humorous. If you don't believe that people are using racism as a reason for everything, think of Columbia University's marching band, who, which, by the way, has enthusiastically dissolved itself due to, quote, a realization that it was founded on racism and oppression. This is an article from September 15, 2020, that the Columbia University Marching Band has announced it will dissolve due to intrinsic, irreparable damage caused by the club's structure, which was, quote, founded on the basis of racism and cultural appropriation. The Columbia University Marching Band apologizes, it says in a statement, for insult and injury victims have experienced as a result of actions perpetrated in its name. The band has maintained a club structure founded on the basis of racism, cultural oppression, misogyny, and sexual harassment. The current band hopes that the band's dissolution will provide relief to the present suffering of the Columbia community and time to heal from the decades of harm caused by this organization. So that's their statement. Uh, in all actuality, by the way, the band couldn't hack it on its own. Here's an article from the university's own newspaper, the Columbia Spectator, from 2017. We find out that hiding instruments and ducking public safety officers, the C- Columbia University Marching Band held its Orgo Night performance in room 209 of Butler Library Thursday night, defying a decision by the administration that had denied them access to the library since last December. A 42-year-old tradition, Orgo Night, features a comedy routine that satirizes campus events from the semester alongside musical accompaniment. The event traditionally takes place the night before the organic chemistry final in Butler 209, but for the past two semesters, administrators prohibited the band from playing inside the library, provoking an outcry from current and past band members. Administrators have cited concerns that the night, uh, Orgo Night, disrupts students immediately before final exams. That was the reason for their decision. Anyway, the band went through with it anyway, and when the clock struck 12, more than two dozen band members congregated in the center of the room, changed into their CUMB attire, and began playing Roar, Lion, Roar. So they march around the library with their instruments. They're playing very, very loud. It bothers everybody. And then guess what? The administrators said, fine. No more funding. And by the way, by the way, 
you're no longer allowed to perform at certain sanctioned events. So the band's been going around for years now, by the way, trying to figure out how to raise money. Here's an article from just last September from New York Daily News. Columbia University has banned its longtime marching band from performing at future athletic events after it failed to get recognition from a campus governing board. The Ivy League school had directed the band to join a supervisory board, but the troupe missed a spring 2019 deadline. So remember, the initial incident in the library was from December of 2017. It's now about 18 months later in the spring of uh, 2019, and the band missed its deadline to meet the administration's demands. And the band says, quote, rather than give us time to rectify our error, 18 months, the band has lost all additional funding and is prohibited from performing at all athletic events for the foreseeable future. It is evident that the athletics and undergraduate student life are not concerned with whether the Columbia University Marching Band is recognized. Instead, they are doing everything in their power to ensure the organization no longer exists. So that was from September of last year following an incident that occurred in December of 2017. And now, in September of this year, they dissolve themselves and say, it's because the band was founded on racism. So there's this amazing thing that happened, right? They turned themselves into martyrs, and they said, we're dying for the cause of racism, and we are with you, and Black Lives Matter, and they put their fist in the air. But in all actuality, everything that's wrong is their own fault. Now, doesn't that apply to so many other areas of the world we're seeing right now? Yeah, they were already on probation, and right. then they put themselves on double secret probation. Isn't that funny? It's really like the guy that Kyle Rittenhouse shot. Like, yeah. you're facing all these sexual assault allegations, right? Sexual assault against a minor, I think, yep. was his thing. Mm-hmm. But I'll go out, and I want to be violent, so I'll be violent in the name of Black Lives Matter. Holy crap, I got shot. <laughs> then you die trying to attack a kid who had a gun, and then everybody goes, oh, because of racism. What was the, I'm forgetting his name. I want to say it was Gardner. Who's the black guy that got shot recently by the police? Who's who's the guy in Kenosha that got shot that started it all? Uh, man, I don't. I, his name's not worth remembering. I can't but, remember. but here's a guy that, I mean, we described in, in horrific detail how he sexually assaulted the woman, while she lay in bed next to her child, and the and she calls the police, and the police show up, and from all accounts now, he has a knife. He puts a police officer in a headlock. They tell him to drop the knife. He refuses. He gets into a car with some kids, so they shoot him and kill him. And then everybody wants to go, oh, my, but racism, but racism. It's like this get-out-of-jail-free card, almost literally for people, you can be as evil and vile as you want to be, or like the Columbia University marching band, you do everything you're not you're told not to do. Do everything you're told not to do. And then when it doesn't go your way, you go, well, racism. Right. Literally. And hang it that's up. what they've done. Yeah. Racism. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You say that racism got the better of you, so you quit. I like it. <laughs> Like what? Like what? What sense? What is happening right now? What sense does any of it make? All right, I can't believe I can't remember that dude's name. We talked about him for weeks. Doesn't matter. I don't care to remember it. Here we go. Ready? Ready? This one's a good one. Mm-hmm. I'm an ambitious officer. Yeah. I need to be a part of the hundred club. Oh, hundred club voter. I got to watch him vote clips, by the way, because you made a snarky comment about that's the best we could do for voter. Um, 
I really think that's that's one of his best quotes. Like, he's got a lot of stuff out there that's really, really bad. But that one's pretty good. Um, but I got into the... I keep saying I'm going to make a montage. I just haven't gotten around Just to do it. it. Just do I'll, it. I'll, I will do it. Because there's so much fodder out there. The problem is you have to sit so, through so that's much voter stuff. It. It's hard to do. That's why I haven't done it. It's hard. The man is ridiculous. I listen to a podcast called Your Favorite Band Sucks. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious because they just pick a band and they tear them apart. Sure. But you can tell the one guy takes it really serious and he does a lot of research. But you can tell it's eating at his soul. <laughs> that he has to read about these people he yeah. hates. So uh, that's kind of how I feel about Voda. Like I feel like I need to build like a nice uh, polished montage that we can play mm-hmm. every time we go into mm-hmm. this segment. But I haven't done it because I really just don't want to watch any of his videos the context of that clip that we play by the way is he's doing like a defensive pistol class or something and he tells all these poor people that are there that have paid their hard-earned money to him that what you want to do when an officer pulls you over is just pull your gun out (laughs) he says this just pull your gun out you should go look it up it's real and you can you just put it on the dash take the mag out put your hands at 10 and 2 so he wants your gun on the dash Six inches from your right hand that's at the two o'clock position on the wheel as an officer is approaching you. And he says cops look for problems because they need, I guess, they need to write a hundred tickets a month. Mm-hmm. I'm an ambitious officer. I need to be a part of the hundred club. That accent's fake, by the way. That's why it's funny. Okay, here's our. our Wait. In- <laughs> oh, Wait. Yeah. yeah. He's not Indian? No, that dude's from like Orlando, Florida, I'm Wait, sure. Hang on. Wait a second. <laughs> Is it Indian? He's. What? I don't know. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny to find out he thought that that was an Indian accent? Mm-hmm. I'm an ambitious officer. I need to be a part of the hundred club. That's how we talk in Delhi, where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so the buffoon of the week uh, is our vote of the week, and this week, uh, no mistake about it, it's this guy. Perhaps. Most cruelly of all, if Donald Trump has his way, the complications from COVID-19, which are well beyond what they should be. It's estimated that 200 million people have died, probably by the time I finish this talk. <laughs> Come on, man. It's so funny, dude. I love how much <laughs> reverb they put on it. It's like... like, he, like I think someone thought, how can we make it sound like Joe is in front of a huge audience? Yeah. And this guy goes, hey, I'm a sound engineer. Yeah. I'll tell you I what you, you do. Yeah. You turn the wet up. You just put a little reverb on it. <laughs> I was about to say, you guys ever heard a reverb? And then they put too much on him. So now it sounds like he's just in a big-ass empty room. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't even make it past that. I don't even know what he's talking about. All right, so did you see his Q&A at all? Did you watch the Q&A on CNN at all? His town hall, his drive-in town hall, which was so weird. It looked like a bad CarMax commercial. They're all, like, <laughs> they're in this big parking lot with all these cars parked everywhere, and then it turns out it's a drive Okay, let me ask you a quick question. The world is in turmoil. Is there a worse idea than here is a potential president of the United States, and let's just let everybody drive their cars in? I like that you use here. CarMax as the example, because there's no negotiating. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, but yes, point taken. Um, yeah, so here's the CarMax salesman, and he says that uh, none of the people that have died from COVID, none of them would have died 
if Donald Trump would have acted appropriately. And so now, apparently two-thirds of the nation's population, uh, well over half of the U.S. population, will die before his speech is even over. 200 million people dead. But likely, like, listen, it's funny to me that anyone would think that one man could have that much power and and be so convinced that it's true. But doesn't it speak to what the people who will vote for him want? But yeah. They want that much power in a leader. Listen to him. I like how he, like, basically, he wants it to seem really urgent. So he's like, I mean, I bet by the time I'm done talking. But he doesn't know Perhaps, that for sure. Most cruelly Perhaps. of all, if Donald Trump has his way, the complications from COVID-19, which are well beyond what they should be. It's estimated that 200 million people have died probably by the time I finish this talk. <laughs> What's that he even said probably mean? twice. Yeah, like it, it's estimated 200 million people will probably have died probably by the time I finish this talk. What? Uh, he did go on later to say 200,000, which is what he actually meant. But it proves the point that the man is... It's good that his nurse corrected him, <laughs> and then he put, a, put that out there. Got a little earpiece. You know? yeah. uh, the man has no idea what he's saying. It is all scripted. It's all off of a teleprompter. And by the way, Trump is no better off of a teleprompter. We know that. Once the teleprompter fails for Trump, it's all superlatives for days. Like It's the greatest... Greatest bumper music I've ever heard. Times. There's no. I gotta get the papers. Get the papers. No better bumper music ever. We've well, proven that. It's just great. Me. It's great. It's really the best. It's terrific. It's better than terrific guys on this show. Better than any that's ever been. Anyway, Biden is our vote of the week, and we could probably continue that tradition until election, but we won't. We'll try and keep it to the one. That poor guy. I hope when I'm old, someone exploits me too. Uh, I'll be there for you, buddy. <laughs> thanks, man. New episodes of the Felt Recall Podcast every Tuesday, wherever you like to get your podcasts from. We'll be there for you. Find us at feltrecallshow.com, and we'll be back in seven days for more of this right here.